Thank you for listening to another episode of Recovery Nuggets Podcast. Hey, are you Recovery Nuggets out there? It's your host, David Clemen. This week's episode has a return guest, Dr. Jamie Marich, the author of Trauma and the 12 Steps. And this week we have added Dr. Stephen Danziger, her co-author, and they have written a book, which is a workbook to go along with Trauma and the 12 Steps. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of Recovery Nuggets Podcast. I'm your host, David Clement. I'm here with Dr. Jamie Marich and Dr. Stephen Danziger. Welcome to the show. Thank you, David, for having us. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, reaching out to let me know what's going on with you and Trauma and the 12 Steps. And and you both are here to talk about the new addition to this, which I think is going to help people out tremendously. So, uh, Dr. Jamie, do you want to start? Yeah, well, I remember the first time I was on Recovery Nuggets, we talked about my main book that I'm known for, Trauma and the 12 Steps, which mm-hmm. I first published in 2012. It was released again in an expanded form in 2020. And Steve wrote the foreword for the expanded edition. And he has a fun story to tell you about how he even came into my life through that original book. And North Atlantic Books, who picked up the new edition of Trauma and the 12 Steps. They also picked up a new edition of a workbook resource that we put together, uh, Trauma and the 12 Steps, the workbook. And after I wrote Trauma and the 12 Steps, folks were kind of clamoring for, is there more of a step-based workbook Hmm. we can put out there to uh, just make this this phrase we talk about working the steps not only more practical, but more trauma-informed. And at that point, Steve and I had already connected, long connected, and I wanted to bring him along for this part of the journey because he has a lot of recovery knowledge from a slightly different perspective to share. That's great. So it's going to be a it's going to be a wonderful companion to the original book. That is the intention. Yeah. yeah so welcome to the show, Dr. Steve. Um, do you want to give a little bit about yourself and then how you fit into this workbook? Well, so. I- Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. What, what was the? I was just going to say I was reading your your bio, and there's so much I want to talk to you about about your your method, this meta protocol, and your your mindfulness practice, and your your meditation practice. Because I, you know, we all do it, and it's interesting to hear how people got into it and and what their practice is on a daily basis. So, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And um, I'll just start with you know. 34 years of recovery. And the reason I start there is because then everything else happens because of that. Right. And um, one of those things was one day I was just kind of surfing the interwebs looking for trauma resources and saw this book, Trauma and the 12 Steps. And I was like, Ooh, nailed it. And who is this? (laughs) And so I tracked her down. Um, We've used several different words to describe it. Well, we'll just stick with, I tracked her down and he stalked me and then he essentially you know in this in the softest and and most loving of ways but um basically i was helping to run a treatment center at the time and i invited jamie to come out and train our folks in you know what she is talking about there with trauma the 12 steps and we've been friends and colleagues ever since and it's and the co-authors and co-conspirators and you know just doing all the things and stuff to try and um you know provide some healing for folks so 
Um, and then, you know, uh, it's funny because actually, Jamie, we haven't talked about this in more than a minute. Back then, 2012, 13, my, I was thinking of myself as potentially being a publisher. I wanted to like publish the second edition of Drawing the 12 Steps back then. And then, you know, those dreams went by the wayside. But <laughs> the point being that, you know, like I really fell in love with that work and everything. And it wasn't just, you know, the fact that it needed to be said, just that title, but just the way that Jamie had thought about it and then worked on it and then put it out there. Um, it's, you know, it's life-saving stuff. So I'm just, I'm really thrilled to be a part of it at all. Yeah. I, I like what you said there. And what I've noticed about 12 step is that, you know, some of the stuff is just kind of touched on and there's a line in the 12 step that I found my uh, footing in. And it says, you know, sometimes we may need outside help and that's really all it says. And so when, when you're going through things and, and the trauma is not really touched on when I, and I have a similar story about that book is I had a free audible credit and I've shared this with Dr. Jamie. So I'm like looking for recovery and trauma stuff and EMDR and it came up and I was at work listening to it. And I'm like, this, this is awesome. I'm telling everyone about this book because it's that extra, you know, that outside help that really made a lot of sense. And um, so I'm a, I was super excited to have you both on here. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah. So how did this come about? Just people asking, hey, is there something like a guide or is there just a little bit more to help me go so through this processing my trauma? There's a fun story with that, uh, which is connected to the forward writer for this book, Anna David, who Steve actually knew first through LA recovery circles. And at some point, Steve connected us online and I guessed it on her podcast at the time. And, you know, it's a big old networking thing mm -hmm. when you have recovering folks. And in one of our exchanges, Anna had said to me, it would be great if there was a workbook on doing the 12 steps in a trauma-informed way because she had people in her network who were wanting to work the steps or work them again. And even when she said work them again, it really struck me that for those of us in long-term recovery, we don't just work them once. We work them in various ways at various seasons of our lives. And so even a note that we have in these workbook sections is some experience, strength, and hope for people who are working them for the first time some mm -hmm. guidance on people who may be taking another trip through. So she is who we dedicated it to. And she was gracious enough to write the forward because for this direct idea of a workbook resource, she definitely put that idea there. That's great. So now does it go similar to the steps, the kind of the integrity of the steps, but with the trauma informed uh, lens that you wrote it in? Yes, it follows exactly the steps, although I'll let Steve talk about step zero, which Ooh. is this kind of grounding mindful base that starts the whole thing. Yeah, so, um, I, you know, it's implicit, I think, in the work of the 12 steps and kind of the way that folks, I don't know, my own story, right? I entered meetings and I didn't immediately think, oh, what are those steps and what, what should I do about them? I just had a landing pad and there were a bunch of people, in my case, in a basement on the Lower East Side of uh, Manhattan, uh, all with black leather jackets. Everyone was in a band and they were all smiling and happy and, and it was good. And I was like, OK, I'll stay here. Right. And for me, that is uh, uh, the essence of step zero. Right. Is 
how do we land the plane safely enough and then get some preparation? And this comes out of uh, Jamie and I's work with EMDR therapy, where you know we don't talk as much about stabilization as we talk about preparation. So really like, you know, step one, even though, you know, you could think of it as like a starting place, there's some good preparation that you can do to, you know, even enter that realm. So our step zero in the book, you know, uh, looks a lot at uh, trying to sort of find a, find at least a modicum of sort of healthy and, and even joyful kind of aspects of life. Uh, in order to, you know, just sort of get the engines running and mm. get ready to like stare, stare my powerlessness and unmanageability, you know, uh, down. But I don't have to stare it down anymore. I can look at it more gently and, you know, sort of flexibly. Yeah. Yeah. I like that because, um, and when people come in and I know for me, I wasn't ready to just dive into the trauma. So I, I wanted to see how you, I like that step zero. It's like, let's get a happy joy. Let's get a base here. And, and so what would you say to the people that are afraid of even looking at trauma at all? And how would this book help? Well, piggybacking off what Steve said on preparation, an exercise that I know Steve really contributed to this is the idea of, can you name a hundred things that bring you some kind of pleasant sensation, neutral sensation. It could be the mint. It could be taking a shower. It can be like Steve just took a sip of something that is non-alcoholic, just the refreshingness of water, perhaps. And so we encourage people to brainstorm. And yes, we know 100 can seem daunting, although we have 100 spots in the book if people want to start just being aware as they go through life of where are some moments where I can tap into pleasantness or just being okay. And I tell folks, if you can start with one, two, five, start by starting. We use that term a lot in both mm, like and our meditation practice. And so I think having that groundwork, we sometimes directly call it grounding. Some people prefer a term more like anchoring to grounding. Just where can I find those points of, all right, I'm here now present life, not my, may not be wonderful, but it's okay. I'm not dying in a fire and to be more aware of those when they happen, notate what experiences bring those up. And there's a lot of ways we can prepare, which is why I like that in each step uh, for each section of each step, we include a meditation of some kind. And by meditation, Steve and I take a very practical approach to it. You don't have to be an expert meditator. Not, I mean, there's no such thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. We're all beginner practicing with beginner's mind. Uh, we want to give people the support before going into what may overwhelm them as the hard work. Because even this, this hard work we feel can be tackled if you know what to do with this body, soul, mind level distress that comes up, because so much of the time that distress is just us talking ourselves out of it. Mm. I like giving people action plans. Like here's something you can do. My first sponsor who had a vital role in saving my life, she always used to say chapter six, the big book is called into action, not into thinking. And mm. we hope to give people a lot of those in this in this workbook. And David, to your point about, you know, folks who are reticent or just anxious about going into the trauma, 
you know, the work that Jamie has done and that I've done over the years is all dedicated to helping folks to understand that they don't have to dive into the trauma. That's like, that's the old school yeah. way of thinking, right? It's like, yeah. uh, you know, oh, hi, you have trauma. Uh, tell me all about it and we'll yeah. work through it. And that's not what we're doing. And I feel like, you know, in addition to what Jamie is talking about, how each step kind of brings a person, eases a person, let's mm-hmm. say, to it as an arc, you know, the art, the approach to working the steps here is such that, you know, there's plenty of preparation before you have to go in the deep end of the pool. Um, I think of all the people over the years that I've come across with relapse or lapse stories that revolve around. And then I got to the fourth step. Right. And then I had to stare it down like that. And then I, I left or I drank or I, yeah. You know, so. No, that's great. Because I mean, I was talking to Dr. Jamie before and with 17 years, I didn't, wasn't ready to do all the, the deep trauma till it, it took some time, you know, like I had to just not use for a while, get some foundation get that community of recovery and get the new community of my life and then do steps several times before I was able to go deeper and see how this stuff affected my life. And then eventually, you know, a life event happened and then EMDR came into the picture and helped me process. So it's been a journey for sure. And so that's, you know, I think that's good for people to hear, you know, like you don't have to get clean and then dive into the trauma. That's not how this works. Yeah. And I think we all have our points where it's revealed to us. For me, I was very blessed as I write about in both the original book and I touch on in the workbook to have the sponsor I did, who I often say she was trauma informed before the phrase was cool Mm. uh, because it really kind of came into popularity in the little later in the 2000s, yet right around 2000, 2001 when I met her, uh, I didn't know what the word trauma meant association at the time yet just the way she treated me, the way she had an attraction rather than promotionness about her. And after a few months of going to meeting, she was the first one who accurately identified trauma as being a, a big part of my story. And so I think one of the reasons I did stay around and stick with it is because I had her as a sponsor, for sure. I could have seen in another context that not going so well. And for me, it was at two years of clean time, you know, or sober time where, yeah, life revealed itself in a big and powerful way. And I knew that that outside help would be needed. And she had cautioned me before I left where she was living, because I then moved back home that, yeah, you're probably going to need to do some heavy counseling on this stuff. And yeah, two years became the point for me. And I know for some people, it's much later in their journey. For some people, they know they need to do that work pretty soon, or they they may not make it. So I think we all have our our times. Uh, I think if we're open to the process of recovery, that time will reveal itself if we're willing to accept the invitation. What about you, Steve? I'm curious yeah. when, because you've you've been sober the longest of us. When mm-hmm. when did you really kind of know, dude, trauma? This well, is that's funny. funny that you say it was two years for you. So when I, so I had two sponsors in the beginning because I always thought I'm twice as messed up as everybody else. So I need, a, <laughs> I need an extra guy. And um, and they make, they both make appearances in the workbook. And um, one of them uh, was uh, fond of saying, 
you know, uh, about steps one, two, and three, just do the waltz, do the waltz, just keep on doing the waltz and we'll, don't worry, we'll get to the rest of it. And then the other one, Randy, Randy from the Bronx, he said, <laughs> um, uh, when I had two years, he said, welcome to two years. He said, I have some good news and some bad news. Good news is you get your feelings back. Bad news is you get your feelings back, right? And that's exactly what that is, right? It's like feelings, the deep feelings, Mm -hmm. the deep feelings connected to the traumatic and the adverse life events that haven't been processed correctly. And then all of a sudden, I've been awake now for two years Uh and my body has settled down sufficiently and my mind has even settled down sufficiently to just reveal it to me, like kind of, I think Jamie was alluding to. It's like, it just, there it was. And thank goodness, uh, because I was sort of following instructions from those two sponsors and they too said, you know, you might want to get one of those professional people on this job, you know? So I already had a therapist. I had a Buddhist monk friend, you know, who provided some care that way. And I had those two sponsors and a whole crew, you know, because I was one of those people I went to, you know, they said, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. So I went to 360 in mm-hmm. 90 days and took it from there. And yeah. Uh, yeah. So I like that you mentioned awake because, you know, Buddhism and meditation, that term comes up a lot. And even when I meditate, I, I meditate with a fixed gaze versus shutting my eyes because, you know, I, it's not that I want, you know, so much of my life was blocking everything out because I couldn't deal with it. And so the, the meditation practice has really helped me awake and and same with, you know, recovery. It's like, Oh, I'm starting to see myself. You know, I wanted to ask you both, like you see trauma talked about so much now in social, especially in social media and recover people are recovering online and out loud, as they say, um, what do you think the big picture is? That's a big question, but what what are we all, we're all trying to help others. Personally, Where do we see it's going? Personally, I'm glad for it because I'm pretty active in the social media public mm-hmm. psychology space. And there's a lot of discussion, like, are we overdoing it with trauma now? And my gut level is no, because we've underdid it, underdone it mm-hmm. so many years, especially in recovery circles. Uh, there was almost this taboo about don't dig too deep into it or or else, or it, it may overwhelm, or it may put you into this excuse-based thinking. So I'm glad we're talking more about trauma. And part of how I've always looked at it as a big picture thing, and this is in you know any of my books, not even just these two, that trauma means wound. English word for trauma comes from the Greek word meaning wound. And when we're talking about trauma, we're talking about woundedness. We're talking about various degrees of woundedness. And it's not even necessarily the intensity or the nature of what happened to you. In EMDR therapy, we talk about this concept of uh, adverse life experiences, previously called small T trauma, that even these small wounds that remain untreated uh, can go on to be a problem. I was sharing with both of you how a week before, just within the week of this interview being taped, I ended up in the hospital with a bug bite mm. because it caused an infection that got through my whole bloodstream. And I think that's a huge metaphor for these wounds that we can think are innocuous or not much. Cause for a few days, it's like, oh, it's just a bug bite. It'll clear. No, if things fester, they can become a problem. And That is, I think, the big picture here. Uh, Another collaborator of mine, Adam O'Brien and I, who we put together an addiction and dissociation model, 
we say in that model that addiction care has to start looking more like trauma care and especially more dissociation focused trauma care. Yet that's something Steve and I have really been emphasizing since the beginning of our collaboration together, that addiction treatment. And that's really Steve's forte, having worked in so many levels of treatment and training in a lot of different treatment centers. He sees, and Steve, I'll, I'll let me talk about it. And your whole people are trauma clients the day they walk in the door. Yes, exactly. But I wanted to also address that, you know, I might be introducing this this hot off the press as news. The cover of New York Magazine that just came out says the word trauma in big letters in the in the format of the Tide. Wow. (laughs) And the headline is how the author of The Body Keeps the Score won a 50-year fight and made trauma America's favorite diagnosis. So, so, you know, of course, there's going to be lovers and haters of this, right? Yeah. Yeah. And to Jamie's point about, you know, like, it's good that we're having this conversation. It's kind of like, you know, everyone lands where they land. I've landed at, you know, this is, this is what I'm doing. This is what's for dinner is, you know, I truly believe in the connections between uh, a Buddhist Four Noble Truths model, uh, the eight phase protocol of EMDR, uh, the meta protocol that we put together, you know, all the models that Jamie has put together around dissociation and other aspects of what we're talking about here. And we need to be looking through this trauma focused lens because we're living in a completely traumatized world. And, and that's not to be, and, and that's not being alarmist. It's saying that it's a continuum like what we used to call small T trauma, adverse life events. It's a continuum of, it's not as much who a person is inherently. It's more about what happened to them and how that glitched the system and how can we unglitch or fix the glitches as it were in the individual. And then they can, you know, the the wound can heal properly. And then, so then as it pertains to, you know, addiction treatment, yeah, the whole, the whole thing is, is, I've, I've, uh, through experience, I got to see a lot of wonderful healing. I got to work with a lot of wonderful people. And I also saw a lot of things that I can't unsee. And I thought, you know, what is, what is, what might be the problem? And the problem essentially was that we weren't, we were, some models were trauma informed and sort of looked at trauma and go, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Trauma is part of this. But no one was really just going ahead and just dealing with it. And, And that also led to the thinking around, if you don't change systems, you're not really, you know, individuals may change and they might be able to even sustain, but if you don't change systems, then the whole thing won't be sustainable. So that's the premise of the work that I've been doing around Meta Protocol is essentially taking all these principles and applying them at the 30,000 foot level on all the way down to the minutia. And then if you do that, then you might be able to change not just the conversation, because that's been great, right? The conversation has changed, mm-hmm. but change the way people address it. And particularly with addiction, um, I think we have a real opportunity to heal people at a much greater level and a wider scope by doing it this way in the you know trauma-focused way. Yeah, I, I have two thoughts. One is, this is big picture. Do you see there being trauma and 12 steps groups? There are and then the, yeah, I there think, are some. Yeah, a few people have created their own around uh, 
there's a guide I have in the initial book. Uh, I had one on the, in the rooms platform when they first invited me on around 2016. And then someone took it over more as a trauma and recovery meeting that's on there now without the specific 12 step focus. But if people want to do specific meetings with it, I've always opened it and have never felt the need to organize it as a fellowship. Cause Steve will tell you, I can't organize one more thing in my life right now. <laughs> uh, no. In Bill Wilson's spirit, it's like, turn it over to, to people who, who see a need for it. But my bigger picture desire is that any 12 step meeting anywhere would be a place that a trauma survivor can walk into and feel safe enough. And that is sadly still not the case. It's far from the case because there's a lot of people who are there for quote unquote, the right reasons in terms of getting sober, but still have a lot of their unhealed wounds that they're bleeding all over everyone else. Right. And then the other part that I wanted to ask you about was how, how are the, is it question and answers and essays? How is the book set up for each step and how to self-guided? Right. Well, can you give I us an example right here so I can. <laughs> hey, all right. Yeah. If you want to take a picture of this when we're done, that'd be great. Okay. All right. Hold it up and I'll do a screen grab. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Perfect. All right. And if you post that, I will repost it. I love it. So okay, cool. Step is organized similarly, where we go into each step. I give my kind of personal thought mm -hmm. on the step from my recovery. Steve gives his personal thought on the step from his recovery. Then we go into the opening meditation for each step. So, for instance, I just randomly opened here step seven, uh, humbly asked him, and we have him asterisked through the mm -hmm. whole book, inviting people to use whatever gender or expression of higher power that they may choose. Then we have the core meditation for the book and in step seven here or for the step. And in step seven here, it's mindfulness of feeling tone, which is one that Steve taught me as a teacher and is very valuable. Uh, and then one of the first things we do is you know, it's lined paper. It's essay mm -hmm. format for some of the writing portions is to take a look at where, how the step is worded and what problems do you have with it? So we want people to lead with, here's a word I don't like, like shortcoming, ew. Maybe you have activation around short trauma, who knows? Mm -hmm. Maybe the activation is around that hymn language. And so here's some options I have with changing the language. We see obviously powerless in step one and, and character defects in step six, surrender. Mm -hmm. Those are words that can be real kind of vulnerable points for folks. And then now that you've teased out some of your doubts and problems, how might you uh, benefit from working this step right now? Or how might you benefit like here we have in working six and seven together? If this is the first time, what are you hoping to get out of working this step? What is your focus? What? And so they're guided questions, mm -hmm. um, which we feel give people a little more structure who want the structure. But it's not the old school like column format about Brown being sorted as boss that you see in the big book that right. resonate for a lot of people. And then this is my favorite part. Steve and I are both expressive artists in, in, in our various media that we play with. And so we have non-lined paper here for 
the next step. And that's if writing the step doesn't feel like it's the best fit for you right now. Can you draw something that might feel more appropriate or write a playlist of music? And then on the next page, we have a free writing to complete whatever work you may need to complete about the step. In the pages where we have guided questions for people working at the first time through, we also give some prodding points as well for people who are working this not the first time and how they're hoping this or what does this step mean to you at this mm-hmm. point in life. All right. Steven, do you have do you have some more comments on how the book flows? Yeah, you know, I you know, I remember my own uh fourth step experience in particular. I remember a lot of things, but I remember that really well. <laughs> right. Because I, I showed up to um I showed up to my sponsor Randy's house and I had a 34 page document for him. Mm-hmm. And, and I had heard all these rumors from my friends, you know, like, yeah, you're going to go and it's going to be like eight to 10 hours long. And then you go to the East river and you're going to burn it and throw it in the river and do a dance. Yeah. I show up to Randy's and he's in his track suit and he's like, I got to be at the gym in two hours. Let's get going. And then I saw, <laughs> and then he saw me with 34 pages. He's like, what is that? You know, and and I was like, it's my fourth. And he's yeah, it's my fourth step. And he's like, let me show you mine. And he showed, he had his out, I guess, like as a way of just uh-huh. bonding. And it was one page long. It was the columns, and there was like eight guys he hated. <laughs> right. And so, but the point being that, like, that's way too short for me. Mm-hmm. And thirty-four pages narrative was way too long for him. It's a little much. What's that? Is a little, a little much. Oh, look, look, I have people who wrote, you know, novella and even novel length. Oh, is, sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But oh, and, and I Jamie, I think you've heard there. Yeah. I think yeah. Jamie heard this story is the, the way that the fifth step went with him was I was doing my the thing and he's like, I was starting to read the 34 pages, and he's just like, stop, stop, stop. Just give it to me. Let me read it. And I'm just sitting there kind of like, yike, yike, yike. And and he's reading it and he goes, this is not 34 pages long. I was like, what did I like misnumber the pages? He goes, this is three pages long. You do the same dumb shit to different people, three pages at a time. <laughs> and that was one of my first spiritual experiences in the program because he nailed it. And I was relieved. Like I thought I was 34 pages of bad. Mm. And he really, it's like, you're just like three pages of like, kind of like, you're short, you know, like missing the mark, right? The actual uh, definition of the word sin, right? The meaning of the word sin, off the mark, right? Missed the mark. Mm. And so anyway, um, so the thing that I love about our book is that it reminds me of, um, it just reminds me of when I had a number of years of sobriety and I had done the steps, you know, in very, kind of call it standard ways over mm-hmm. time. And I had a sponsor who invited me to use the gentle path. Uh, through the 12 steps by Patrick Carnes. And it was this sort of offering of a different type of structure. And it's not like a looser structure. It's just more like structured, but not rigid. And, and that's, you know, that's the reason why Jamie and I got along. I think one of the reasons like from the beginning is because I saw that in all of her approaches and kind of the way that she was seeing things. It's like structure, good structure, you know, like same time, a little bit on the punk rock side, like, you know, not gonna, you know, don't fence me in, but 
give me some good fencing so that I can walk a, a, a path of, you know, recovery. And so, so I feel like this is an organically constructed, you know, middle ground between 34 pages and one wrinkled kind of like weird, it was all scruffy, that one page okay. around Good Middle path. Middle yeah. Path. Middle path. Easier. So yeah, the path is the goal. The goal is the path, you know, it's, uh, I was thinking about my first fourth step and I, I too wrote a novella. And, uh, mm -hmm. the only thing I remember is I thought this guy is super patient. He sat with me for four hours and listened to it. And he wrote down assets and defects and gave me spiritual principles to work with it. And the only line I remember reading out of all of those pages was avoidance is the key to strong denial. And that was me my whole life. You know, like I just always avoided it. And there was this, this powerful denial about who I really was when I was using, you know, and um, it's, it's interesting when you write and then you share it with someone. So is there a sharing, you know, if, if this isn't necessarily with a sponsor, is this have an avenue to share with someone to have that, that relief part of it and, and maybe in the fifth step? Well, something I've always advocated in the trauma and the 12 steps work is it just says to God, to ourselves and to another human being. Mm -hmm. And that other human being can literally be anybody who feels safe enough for you in this moment. I believe in a lot of cases, it is most if it is more, if not most appropriate for a pro professional therapist to hear a fifth step, mm. especially if the reason that you were stalling and doing a fourth and fifth step was very trauma soaked. And it was related a lot to the trauma. So as a therapist, I've heard many fifth steps in that capacity. And I remember the first one I heard, my client said, you are hearing it because you have confidentiality. Um, you, you know, I, I don't trust, like, so I love my sponsor, but I just don't want anybody in the program hearing this. So that just really struck me that many people want that extra layer of protection. Uh, I worked my first fifth with a priest because I was still walking a pretty traditionally religious path back then. And I don't regret it. I had a wonderful mm -hmm. experience, a couple fifth steps I've done with priests and my long-term sponsor was a Methodist minister. And I think you work it with whoever feels appropriate for you. And Steve mm -hmm. knows this don't let people tell you how things should be like you should work it with a sponsor or you should work it the step just says another human being uh steven do you think that this book would help people that don't necessarily have addiction issues but they struggle in life just because of trauma well you know that's a, such a great question david because a lot of the work of trying to be a trauma-informed and trauma-focused addiction person, uh, as in professional, mm -hmm. involves having an open-hearted, open-handed um, approach to the many definitions of recovery, like from harm reduction to abstinence-based and everything in between. And so, uh, so much of my practice over the years has been about meeting people and coming in through the trauma door mm -hmm. right and then it leads wherever it, it leads and the thing is is that if you think about I, I don't know you're making me in this interview think about my early recovery and i remember my early recovery is like 
everybody needs these steps, man. You know, like meaning everybody, everybody, regardless of anything. Right. So why not? Right. Like, why not this be a way that someone comes in through the trauma portal of it Mm -hmm. and discovers this tool that they hadn't considered of the 12 steps and who knows where it leads in terms of their discovery of, you know, who they are as a, you know, in, in the context of, you know, what the steps address, really the steps address just, you know, recovery. Mm-hmm. No, that's great because there's so many people that they struggle in life and, and maybe it was domestic violence or there was something, but it didn't, they don't really have drug and alcohol issues, but they have issues with maybe family members where they get triggered and things like that. And it's all, it, it goes back to like, you know, for me, it was somebody said to me a long time ago, like, if drugs ran you to the rooms, what ran you to the drugs in the first place? Mm-hmm. And so when once I got there and then was able to look at that stuff through the steps, there was a lot of freedom in that. And then what I wanted to ask as well is like, as far as working with your trauma, like I, I did a deep dive a couple of years ago when I was doing EMDR and, and found this book and some other things. And I found that once I got into it, I was really into it. And then I'm like, I got to a point where I said, you know what? I need to like take a break from really being in there all the time and coming back out. And then now there's some things that have popped up. I'm like, you know what? I might want to go back and do some more EMDR. So what say you, Dr. Jamie, about that? Totally valid. I I believe when EMDR first came into my life at two years sober, it worked for me as well as it was going to at the time considering where I was at with my recovery goals and intentions. Things can process in layers. Uh, Even the same kind of core memory that was just really the ugliest memory in my life. I've had to work on it several different times with EMDR, interestingly, with different negative beliefs. Mm. So I believe that the negative belief originally shifted, but then life can bring up new sets of negative beliefs. The networks are all connected. So yeah, this goes to what I said earlier about don't let people tell you what working your steps should be. Uh, And I believe it's either in Trauma in the 12 Steps or the workbook. I'm mixing them up because there's a lot of cross content. Um, One of my dear recovery mentors, mothers, Denise had said, you work the steps through the first time as well as you can. You, You can always go back again. And I've long said that the eight phases of EMDR are like the 12 steps. It's not one, eight, you're done. You can keep going through them over and over. They're intended to be cyclical. So I I always get a little, yeah, when people, even in my field, talk about, oh, it's it's, it's one and done. You should be able to clear that trauma out, then it will never bother you again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Nice. I'm glad that's the case for you. But yeah. for, it is it is a layered experience and that's okay. And yeah, really to sum it up again, don't let people tell you how things should look with your addiction recovery or your trauma recovery. It's, it's your recovery, your path. Yeah. How about you, Dr. Steve? Yeah, you know, I am um, I love that EMDR therapy is constructed in such a way, and sort of the the underpinnings of EMDR therapy, it's constructed in a way that it's meant to have a beginning, a middle, and an end, right? Mm-hmm. And beginning, middle, and end doesn't mean that at the end, you're, as my daughter used to say when she was younger, pooping pup- puppies and barfing unicorns, right? It, <laughs> means that you're, it means that you're living your most adaptive life, your best life, a life free of 
that which was happening when you were just beset with all this post-traumatic, you know, stress, right? And then la la la, moving along in life and something happens or you have a thought or, you know, things change and something gets triggered. And here's the best part of that though, is that you went through EMDR therapy, you know exactly where to go, what to do. And there's every good chance that it might be a case where you go to back to your old EMDR therapist or to an un-EMDR therapist and do, and I'm thinking of a lot of different of my clients from the past, come to the therapist for like three, four, five sessions and, you know, sort of deal with that because you set this sort of stage for, you know, doing that kind of work in this way. And that's what I love about, like, when you think about EMDR and the APHASE protocol as a technology, you can think about the 12 steps are a technology, right? Like Mm -hmm. that you can come back to over and over again, individual steps, working all the steps, you know, and, and like, when I think about my step work over the years, right? First one was 34 pages. There's never been any other one that's been anywhere near 34 pages, so, right? You know, like, uh, you know, it would take a lot of hard work and being a really not nice sober person, uh-huh. for, you know, to build up another, you know, big fourth step like that. So anyway, so feel very much the same way about like, you know, it doesn't white, it's not men in black. It's not eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. It's this transformative experience and then life keeps transforming. So you know, Steve, I think one day in one of these courses we teach when we have to write post-tests, that'll be a question. How long was Dr. Steve's first fourth step? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good one. So let me ask you both, since you both uh, practice EMDR, uh, when I went through it, my counselor, um, she used the hand, um, I guess, modules, mm-hmm. ones that vibrate back and forth. Peppers, and, yeah. then during, and then during COVID, we, we did some Zoom where she put a green dot on the screen and went back and forth. Um, Do you both have a preferred method or does it matter? Steve knows my answer to this. Well, it's my answer, but you go first. Yeah. (laughs) You let the client choose. Mm. I believe very powerfully in choice wherever you can create it for folks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh gosh. EMDR people split hairs all the time about which one they think is best and what research shows Mm -hmm. and what all of them can work if it's Mm -hmm. the for the person. So yeah. I offer all of them as options. I like to tell my clients we can switch it up if if needed. You may discover one works for you better. Um yeah. And so I've kind of developed a question. How do you take your EMDR? Three mm. <laughs> I like that. Or uh, hand movements, eye movements, and then maybe you switch over to audio tone. I don't know. So that's very much my feeling on it. And that's what we teach in our curriculum institute for creative mindfulness because we train EMDR therapists as well. Yeah. Dr. And Steve, what, uh, I was going to ask you both. Um, well, go ahead and hear your answer. Oh, no, I was just going to say, let, like I said before she even said anything, you know, same thing. Like yeah. the client choice, it's so key because, okay. you know, a big part of EMDR is just getting, call it the buy-in, you know, like, or, you know, make it so that it's doable. Uh-huh. And all three uh, methods, as it were, work. And so, you know, onward and, and, and it's actually, there's healing inherent in just offering the choice. The more choices mm-hmm. we offer clients, traumatized clients, the more healing there is in that, that empowerment. So. I like that. So for the person that maybe doesn't know what EMDR is, we've kind of 
talked about it a lot, but there may be someone that doesn't actually know what it stands for and how it works. Can you elaborate on that as well? Steve, you take that one. So yeah, and, and fill in any blanks. Um, so EMDR therapy is an evidence-based treatment, according to the World Health Organization and others, uh, for PTSD, but also uh, if you're looking through that lens of, uh, uh, and, I'll, and I'll do it, Jamie, quote, unquote, evidence-based treatment, mm-hmm. to, to quote, unquote, Judith Herman. Um, uh, if you're looking through that lens, it's one of the most researched therapies that's out there because Francine Shapiro, who developed it, was like, hey, let's see if this works in that way. And mm-hmm. um, and so there's that. Um, but what it is, as far as I'm concerned, is the greatest hits of Eastern, Western, and Indigenous psychology and spiritual practice that involves uh, the fact that um, just doing straight talk therapy um, only engages or primarily engages the cognitive area, which is not where anything that has been stuck in the system as a trauma response, that's not where it lives. It never made it there as such. And so bilateral stimulation, which, you know, the back and forth eye movements or the back and forth tactile or the back and forth audio tones are one of the ways and the primary way in EMDR therapy to produce that movement and that change in order so that the uh, activation of the old memory can then be moved along the um, linking and healing transformative path that it never was able to go down in the original uh, instance. And the final result of that is... um, that it is, uh, it is uh, maladaptive material, maladaptively held and linked material now becomes adaptively resolved. And one of my favorite ways to think of it is um, at the end of an EMDR therapy session where it's you know gone to a zero in distress and it's gone to its highest number in terms of a newly found positive belief that the whole system really understands Yes, that happened and it's not happening now. It's like a lot of times you'll hear a client describe it somewhat like it's like looks like a black and white picture now. It's about five feet in front of me. I can see it's me. I still have an opinion about it. It was awful, mm-hmm. but I'm okay now, right here. And so that has profound implications. Not it's not just that in the moment relief. It's all that transformation of the memory and the material that has happened that resulted in that. And then then, then there's more, I won't even call it work. There's organic transformation that happens beyond that, that takes that and integrates it into the greater picture of the person's, you know, life and psyche and all that. That is 100% my experience with EMDR, what you just described. Cool. I mean, it took all the edge off of all the stuff I was working on and it just, I would think about it and I'd go, oh, I don't have to have that argument anymore or I don't have to feel that anymore. It's there for sure. I see it. I was there, but it definitely desensitized. It just took the edge off of everything. So thanks for elaborating on that. So what else would you like to share about the book before we move on to the recovery nuggets? Just we hope people find it to be a useful resource. We know there are a lot of recovery workbooks out there. Uh, Some can be a little 
verbose in terms of let's give you 34 pages to write on stuff. Some can be uh, just done without a real sensitivity for trauma. And that's where I've long seen myself as hopefully trying to make a difference in, in this space. And Steve has been on that path even before he met me. And I think as we've joined forces, it's, yeah, you the 12 steps are still relevant because a lot of people have abandoned them feeling frustrated about not having much direction. Uh, some people don't think that they work well because they're not uh, trauma-informed. Although I say this in my work, I think the steps themselves are fine if we're willing to modify some of the language on them. Mm-hmm. Or we can run into problems as rigidities that we face at meetings with sponsors uh, that, no, oh, you work the step like as it's written. Right. So God gave it to Bill Wilson. So let it be done. It's like, yeah, Bill Wilson was also a man who was really kind of messed up in his own way in the thirties. <laughs> and, you know, I was an old white guy. So of course we can modify language. And I always say the key to modifying anything or trauma informing anything is modifying. Yeah. And I, I, I think a, a lot of this, that same, same sort of sentiment and, really just thinking about, you know, this conversation that we're having about the relationship between trauma and fill in the blank as a society, you know, as a whole. And of all the things I can think of that can benefit from and should be able to handle a conversation about trauma and fill in the blank, it's the 12 steps, you know, and the 12 step programs you know, which is fun to say because I've been going to meetings long enough to to see the faces right now in my mind of the people who think otherwise, you know, like, mm-hmm. how dare you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And, and in the end, it's just sort of like, oh my gosh, if this book helps one person who wasn't able to get into the 12 steps because of the barriers caused by a lack of trauma-informed behavior or thinking or doing amongst a particular 12-step group, then yay us, you know? And I think it'll be more than one person. And so that's that's the hope, you know? My hope, everything we do is just like, oh man, I hope some people get healed, some healing from this, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's like the the theme running through all the, this so much is just, you know, whatever works. And if you can find extra companionship to whatever program you're working, I, I'm all for it. And, um, so I wanted to, you know, before we are out of time, I wanted to ask you both, like, what would your, uh, what are your recovery nuggets you'd like to share with people who are just, maybe they still haven't quit yet and they want to come in or they need help or they don't really know where to start. I'll start with you, Dr. Stevens. So I'm thinking of, I'll, I'll just take it from my own pre-recovery, right? Mm-hmm. Where I am someone who about two years before I got introduced to 12-step programs realized I had to stop drinking or I thought I have to stop drinking. And I went to my girlfriend at the time and I said, I have to stop drinking. And she said, okay, I'll help. But she had no idea that 12-step existed. Like the two of us just went into this really horrific program of like, how long, how many hours a day can I stare at Steve while he sits on the edge of the bed not drinking? And and eventually I would drink. And so anyway, and then finally I got met by someone who, um, a, a friend of hers, that for seven months, just every now and then would say, hey, you want to go one of these beatings with me? And I just kept on saying no. 
And she said, okay, and walked away. And so I guess all I could say to, to anyone is anything that you have done up until now that has resulted in you not sort of um, seeking any kind of help, um, know that the help is always there and see if you can find that one little like pinprick size hole of light towards just saying, yeah, what you got, you know, like mm. what, 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 how can I get some relief from this pain? And, um, and know that if you do that, you'll end up kind of possibly, you know, kind of going through this pinprick and it'll like, bam, and you'll be out in this, you know, vista filled with other people who can help you some more. So, I mean, that's, that's the thought that comes to mind when you ask that question. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. So much I, I can say, but as Steve was talking, it also invited me back to step zero before I even realized what alcoholism or addiction was and just knowing something's got to change or you're going to die. And if you're hearing that voice or that prompting, that energy in any way, trust it. Because whether that's your conceptualization of God or higher power, whether it's your gut, your intuition, there's something there. And as a person now who has 21 continuous years, I still live with a lot of people in active addiction around me. Mm. And it's sad is an insufficient word. Because something I've seen, if if you're open to hearing a voice all these years down the path, is every year I've been sober, something horrible has happened. There's been some major thing I've had to deal with. Divorced twice in recovery, the pandemic, other stuff. Mm-hmm. I can honestly say now, taking a drink would not have made any of that better. And that is a thought that still keeps me going. Thank you for sharing that. Well, this has been wonderful, you two. I I really appreciate you taking the time and and coming on to talk about the new workbook, The Companion to Trauma and the 12 Steps. And I will put all the links in the show notes. And I just appreciate the work you're doing out there. Thank you, Dave. It's been a it's been a great kind of mini meeting we've had, right? Yeah, it really has. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thanks Thanks again for listening to Recovery Nuggets Podcast. Get in touch with the show via Instagram at Recovery Nuggets Podcast. Also, the email is recoverynuggetspodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Thank you for showing up for your recovery today. Recovery Nuggets Podcast and guests are not representatives of any 12-step program. I'm not a doctor, counselor, or therapist. I share my experience, strength, and hope. Guests of the show share their personal experiences and opinions. Take what you like and leave the rest.